even as we sing and celebrate sweet baby Jesus, the, the, the baby at the very center of the Christmas story, a time that is so heavily emphasizing new life and new birth, in the shadow of that is one of the deepest and most long-lasting and, and least discussed forms of suffering that people can experience which is the ongoing agony of being unable to have children. A Harvard Medical School study revealed that for those with infertility, they experience levels of emotional distress comparable to patients with cancer or heart disease. One writer described the pain this way. Grief, no funeral, no burial, no flowers, no cards, yet there is a death, the death of hopes of the wonder of a child emerging from your love. And this is a pain that I know some here are familiar with. And we're tempted to think of it as being a very modern kind of problem. But it it actually features quite prominently throughout the Bible. And so here today, as we observe the second Sunday of Advent, our attention turns to a couple who knew this pain well, who had suffered from this for many years, having given all hope of a child up. They had experienced in this Christmas story, though, an unexpected and miraculous joy. Their role in the unfolding drama of Christmas brought an answer to their literally probably decades of prayer. They experienced this joy that changed ultimately the world because of its integral involvement in the Christmas story. I am speaking of Zechariah the priest and his wife Elizabeth, who are a godly older couple. They're described in Luke chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, as being both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. And And with this simple description, it it masks the pain after decades of marriage because there was, as we see revealed in Scripture, an ongoing sadness, shame, guilt even for Zechariah and Elizabeth. She describes her infertility as her reproach among people. Now, we know all about the miraculous birth of Jesus at Christmas. But in God's preparation for Christmas, we need to remember there was another miracle baby born. And and it's not a part of the maybe the short form of the Christmas story that we tend to focus on, but is an integral part of understanding the Christmas story. This baby grew up to be John the Baptist. He is a child who was miraculously born to Zechariah and Elizabeth in their golden years, right? Where many would be thinking about retirement, they get to think about diapers. And he is a child of critical importance in God's long-anticipated plan of salvation for the world. Now, it's interesting, because when the angel Gabriel told Zechariah that that he was finally going to have a son, Zechariah expressed some skepticism. He expressed his doubt to the angel Gabriel, and as a consequence of this, he was rendered unable to speak for the entire time. And based on the text, he's actually most likely he was deaf as well for this period of time until after John's birth. 
But once the moment came, when John was circumcised and he was named, Zechariah's God-given silence ended, and and all of the pent-up joy that he had been reflecting on for nine months overflowed. He gave voice at last to this joy that he felt. But, But as we listen to his words this morning, please realize that his overwhelming joy isn't for the reason we would expect. You see, he is filled with the Holy Spirit, and Zechariah is joyful for the same reasons that we can be joyful today more than 2,000 years later. I want you to listen carefully to what he says in Luke chapter 1, verses 64 through 79. And immediately his mouth was opened, and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And so as I alluded to before I read this, before we begin stepping through Zechariah's song, I just would like you to notice that none of his song is expressing what we might naturally have focused on if we were in Zechariah's sandals after years and years and years of praying for a baby. He never says, thank you, Lord, for giving me a son after all these years of tears and prayer. Standing on the receiving end of a miracle, Zechariah is filled with joy, not because of what God did for him, but because of what God was doing for all mankind. And this, I think, is a useful lesson to us and parallel for us at Christmas. Because I pray that we will each take joy in our beloved traditions and in singing our favorite carols, as we will be doing tonight, and in delightful parties and in thoughtful gifts. But I pray, too, that we will recognize that the true and lasting joy of Christmas comes from what God did for all mankind. Our true joy is that God sent His Son into the world to demonstrate His faithfulness, offer His forgiveness, and to create peace with Him. And that is something that we can celebrate and be joyful about today, this Advent, this Christmas. It is something we can be joyful about no matter what is going on in our lives, physically, financially, emotionally, or relationally. 
Three themes emerge from Zechariah's Song of Joy. God's faithfulness, God's forgiveness, and God's reconciliation with mankind. And so this morning as we reflect on an unexpected father's joy, I pray that we will share in these same joys of Christmas which are available to each and every one of us. Let us indeed rejoice in God's faithfulness, forgiveness, and reconciliation. First, let us rejoice in God's faithfulness. This is where we realize that from the very beginning of this song, Zechariah is not singing about fatherhood or his delight about changing diapers or his concerns about paying for college or any of the things we think of. He is rejoicing because at this incredible moment in salvation history, he is privileged to be part of what God is doing through this miracle child. And he is particularly celebrating three aspects of God's faithfulness in the first portion of this song. He he first celebrates God's faithfulness in sending the promised Messiah. Verses 68 through 7 proclaim, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. He is celebrating the fulfillment of God's promise to provide a king descended from David. This horn of salvation that he speaks of, this symbol of strength, this mighty king who would be born as a descendant of David, we need to realize that's not Zechariah's son. John the Baptist is not descended from David. He is not singing and celebrating John the Baptist here. He is singing about the as yet unborn Jesus. He is singing in anticipation of Christmas. The birth of Jesus was God's faithful fulfillment of centuries, literally centuries of prophecy, including the one that was read a few minutes ago from Isaiah chapter 11. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, right? The father of David. And a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. The coming of Jesus, this long-anticipated descendant of David who would reign forever as king with all authority on heaven and on earth, proved God's faithfulness in keeping the promise that he had made centuries before to David back in 2 Samuel 7.16. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. This demonstration, this proof of God's everlasting faithfulness is a source of Zechariah's joy. It is what he's singing about first and foremost. But it should be a source of joy for us as well to understand that God is trustworthy and faithful across centuries, across thousands of years. And so when we are feeling lonely, when we are feeling uh, left behind by God when we are feeling ignored by the Lord, when we are feeling agony and misery and thinking there can't be anyone who cares, we can look to Scripture, we can see that God is indeed faithful and can be trusted, and so when He promises things to us, we can trust them. And that should give us tremendous joy. As Zechariah continues, he rejoices in God's faithfulness in establishing the long-promised new covenant. 
The Old Covenant was the law that was given by God to the nation of Israel through Moses centuries earlier, but he had promised he would establish a new covenant in Jeremiah 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, declares the Lord. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And this new covenant that's written on our hearts is a covenant of forgiveness. It's a covenant that was established through the blood of Jesus on the cross. This is why, as we recall the Last Supper, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we remember those words. This is my blood of the new covenants. This new covenant of grace and mercy is what Zechariah is anticipating in verses 71 and 72, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers. We should recognize that the greatest and longest standing enemies of mankind are not the powers of the world, they're not kingdoms, they're sin and death. They entered the world when mankind fell into sin in Genesis 3. They have plagued us ever since. They weigh on our minds. They tear away at our bodies. And both of them were defeated at Easter when Jesus rose from the dead and opened the path to everlasting life so that all who follow him in life will also follow him in death and resurrection. This new covenant in Christ's blood was the mercy promised to the ancestors of Israel, to the fathers. This future victory of Easter that Zechariah is celebrating is what began at Christmas. When Jesus took on that body that would be broken, that blood that would be poured out at the cross. The cross and the new covenant are an integral part of the joy of Christmas. We don't talk about it a lot, but we we should realize that this is the true reason for celebrating what took place at Christmas. Not that a baby was born, but that a baby was born to die and to live again. And this, as we see from Zechariah's words, is very much a part of this unexpected father's joy. And Zechariah also rejoiced because through the coming of Jesus, God was faithful to his covenant with Abraham. Verses 72 through 75 celebrate, and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Here, Zechariah is rejoicing in God's faithfulness to fulfill the promise found in Genesis 17 and elsewhere that through Abraham, kings would be born and an everlasting inheritance received. God had sworn to Abraham, I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And yes, there had been kings, there had been land across the centuries, but they had come and they had gone. This covenant's ultimate and perpetual fulfillment came through Jesus at Christmas. 
And Zechariah's overwhelming joy is also something that we can experience, where we find our lasting joy every day, because our God is a faithful God whose promises can be trusted and whose power works all things to the good across thousands of years. Right In our short-term perspective, we can begin to doubt whether God is good, whether He is really going to work things together for the good when we are miserable, when we are sick, when we are suffering, when we are dying. We can ask, where is God in this? And here, like Zechariah, we can look and see that God has a perspective that works across thousands of years to bring things together at just the right time, in just the right way, to fulfill His promise. And this is a tremendous source of joy, even when things are not going well. Because we know that they are ultimately going exactly as they need to go for the good of all. But Zechariah's joy went far beyond what God had done. He joyfully anticipates what God was about to do through John and Jesus. He rejoiced in God's forgiveness. Beginning in verse 76, he celebrates the role that his newborn son is going to play in mankind's salvation because he knows John was miraculously given for a purpose. That purpose was to reveal sin and offer forgiveness. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give knowledge of salvation to His people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God. You see, Zechariah understood the reality of our human situation, that we've all sinned, that we all need God's forgiveness. I have sinned, you have sinned, and and literally everyone you encounter throughout this Advent season has sinned and needs God's forgiveness. Your neighbor, your co-worker, your classmate, the clerk at the store where you're doing your Christmas shopping, they've all sinned and need God's forgiveness. Everyone you see who appears to have their life perfectly together has sinned and needs God's forgiveness. Everyone whose life is obviously a mess has sinned and needs God's forgiveness. And everyone in between has sinned and needs God's forgiveness. Because Romans 3.23 declares, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This was the core of John the Baptist's message when he grew up. Luke 3.3 summarizes it this way, And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. God's forgiveness and salvation, this truth Zechariah knows John was born to proclaim, was made freely available to all through Jesus Christ. And for that, we rejoice. And for that, we remember that we have a responsibility to share this good news with all around us. See, there's good news, but there's bad news first. And the bad news for us sinful human beings is that God isn't merely loving and merciful. He is also righteous and just. A righteous God can't tolerate unrighteous sin. And a just God can't permit sin to go unpunished and should give us what we deserve, which is death, as Romans 6.23 so bluntly puts it, for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
Here is where that mercy that Zechariah is singing about, this mercy of God that he celebrates in verse 78 meets the justice of God because God, in his great mercy, sent Jesus at that first Christmas to grow up to be the innocent sacrifice required to pay the penalty necessary for a just God to forgive our guilt, to offer us forgiveness for our sins. Romans 5.8 declares, but God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And we can be full of joy about this. Full of joy at Advent because Jesus was born on Christmas so that on Good Friday he could pay the penalty that a just God required us to pay. He paid it for us. And on Easter rose from the dead as Lord and Savior. So to experience the salvation that Zechariah joyfully was anticipating, all it requires is that we believe these things, that we believe what Jesus said about himself. And Romans 10.9 promises, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. As recipients of God's undeserved grace and mercy and forgiveness and love and salvation through Jesus Christ, This is something we can rejoice along with Zechariah every single day. Again, no matter our situation, we can rejoice in God's forgiveness. And we need to share the news of God's forgiveness. And that's why as you leave today, once again, you will be given invitations, little cards about our Christmas Eve service, and we want each one of you to give your invitation away to someone. On one side, it talks about tonight's program. The other side, Christmas Eve. Invite people to experience God's forgiveness. That is the joy we celebrate. And yet there's even more. Because beyond God's forgiveness, Zechariah leads us to rejoice in God's reconciliation. See, what Zechariah is anticipating as his song comes to its end, what began at Christmas and was ultimately accomplished at the cross at Easter transcends forgiveness. I mean, forgiveness is amazing. Forgiveness is wonderful. And yet, our good God offered us even more through Jesus Christ. Because through Him, we also have peace. We have adoption and friendship with the living God of the universe. One of the massive problems of human existence, one we don't ever really like to talk about, is that our natural situation isn't simply one of of being sinful, as bad as that is, and yet it kind of rolls off the tongue. I'm a sinner. I'm saved by grace. Our natural state is open rebellion against God. You see, sin is the expression of our radical selfishness and self-centered rebellion against the Lord and His Lordship and rule and reign over our lives. At its heart, sin is the desire to do whatever we want rather than what God wills for us. And so we need to recognize that we're not just occasionally doing a little bad stuff on the side. The reality is that we are naturally enemies of God because our relationship with Him was completely broken by our sin. All of creation, in fact, has been twisted and distorted and broken because of this reality of human rebellion. It is the source of all the ugliness and the pain and the suffering we see around us in the world that we experience in our own lives. 
And yet we're usually completely, willfully blind to this part of the reality. Rebellion. Hostility towards God. As Zechariah concludes his song of joy, he rejoices that Christ came to reveal our war with God to us, to to shine a light into the darkness that we have chosen to embrace, to, to hide us from the reality of who we are and what we have been doing toward God. He concludes in verses 78 and 79 whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Here he's reflecting on that promise of Isaiah 9, 1-7, through 7, which is so famously associated with Christmas and the Christmas story because of the accuracy of the prophecy and the applicability of the words, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor you have broken, as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior and battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice, with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Right, think about these words. Zechariah rejoiced that sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness. Isaiah promised a great light would dawn, and Jesus said plainly, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus' purity, his perfect example, and his teaching all reveal our, our natural darkness and our natural distance from God. Because we like to fool ourselves and think that we're good people. And that means we're okay with God, just like the Pharisees did before us. And Jesus cuts through all that, that darkness and all that self-deception to reveal our darkest sins and failures and to give us hope. Hope that our war can end. That our war has ended. Jesus shows us the way out of sin and rebellion towards an eternal peace with God. Jesus came at Christmas to end our war with God, to make that peace at Easter. This is what Zechariah is anticipating so joyfully. God's reconciliation, however, only comes through the blood of Jesus on the cross. Colossians 1, 19-22 explains, For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. 
all of this factored into Zechariah's joy. He had had nine months of complete silence to to ponder these things and to ponder his own God-given role in the Christmas story as it was unfolding. And he overflowed with joy for these reasons. And these are the same reasons we can be joyful today and tomorrow and every day thereafter. That through Christ, we have peace with God. We experience forgiveness of all of our guilt and our sin and our shame. We receive a a clean slate in the eyes of the Creator. And that we have a faithful God who can be trusted to keep every promise, including those promises about His love for us, His care for us, His plan for us, His 24-7 presence in our life, no matter how the things are going on around us. And so I pray that we will all be filled with this joy as we set out into our mission field this Advent season. Won't you please pray with me? Oh, Heavenly Father, we rejoice as Zechariah rejoices. We rejoice at the things that we have seen and read about and know about that we celebrate in this Advent season and the coming of Christmas. Your great faithfulness across all the centuries that we just rejoice, Lord. You are a God who can be trusted to be with us all of the time, as you have said, to love us and to work all things for the good, even when we don't understand them, Lord. And so, Lord, I would like to just invite a moment for those of us who might be struggling at times with feeling your presence, with feeling your goodness, Lord. I just pray that you would hear us now as we silently share those things that weigh in our hearts, that as we confess our sense of distance from you, Lord, I pray that you would speak into lives and give the encouragement of the faithful presence you have demonstrated century after century. Lord, hear our prayers, hear our confession, hear our requests. Dear Father, we celebrate, too, that in the coming of John the Baptist to proclaim forgiveness, in the coming of Jesus Christ to to offer forgiveness, to actualize that forgiveness, Lord, we all have things in our lives we may need forgiveness for. But Lord, you have promised us that through faith in Jesus Christ, when we confess our sins, you will forgive So, Lord, first, if there are any here who have not yet made that profession, who have not yet put their faith in your Son, Jesus, as Lord and Savior, I pray that they would do that, that they would would embrace Him now as Lord and Savior, to receive that forgiveness, to experience that newness of life, that cleanness that comes through your forgiveness. But also, too, hear us confess before you Anything we need to confess to receive forgiveness, Lord. Here now, as we silently lay before you the burdens of sin that weigh on our heart, hear our confession, Lord, and forgive us through Christ.
dear father. It's such a beautiful, amazing, extraordinary thing that you began working at Christmas, that you concluded with Easter, that through these events you bring peace with you in our rebellion that you initiated the making of peace, though we were the ones who who caused the war. And so, Lord, as we prepare to, to step into a world of chaos, a world of violence, a world of hatred, a world of injustice, a world of suffering, help us to embrace this peace that you have made with you. Fill us, Lord, with the peace that transcends all understanding, the peace that is only possible through the work of your Son, Jesus. Lord, fill us with peace. Make us agents of peace in the world as we depart this place shortly. Or we lift these things up in Jesus' name. Amen.